Good morning. And uh, let me just say this real quick. You heard Jake mention this in the prayer, but our newest pastor, uh, Jonathan Davis, and his wife, Erin, and uh, their daughters, they are making their way here. And just if you see them in the weeks ahead or if you see an email about ways that you can be helpful, please do. And um, we we really want to wrap our arms around them. This is a massive transition for them. Very glad that God has raised them up. But uh, just keep them in your prayers. Remember that they are on their way and seem to be here. And let's get behind them any way that we can to encourage them. And if I haven't met you, I'm so glad you're here this morning. My name is Brian Haybig. I'm one of the pastors here. And that was uh, our other pastor, Jake Patton, who's leading us in worship. We finished up a series last week on the book of Acts. And just kind of have a standalone Sunday this morning. So I want to look at a psalm. Just look at this psalm. And actually, I've, I've been a little bit conflicted about... If I made the right decision, because we, uh, it's probably not the best thing to admit on the front end of the sermon, but, uh, but this Psalm 42 and 43 actually go together. And even in English translations of the Bible, it'll acknowledge that. And uh, they even share some of the same language, but you can look at them separately. So just, I'm, I, I want to look at Psalm 42, just standing by itself. And if you don't have a Bible, the text is, is there in the bulletin. I think some of you have heard me tell this story before, and I heard this story listening to a podcast. A woman was describing her own experience one time when she fell in love with a guy. And when she and this guy were first going out, they, uh, they, they would joke about sort of sappy couples music. And, and the one that was typically in their crosshairs was Phil Collins music. And I think maybe this is even before they started going out. It was just maybe when they were friends and they were becoming boyfriend, girlfriend, but they would, they would laugh about Phil Collins songs and Phil Collins lyrics. And she said that somewhere along the way, it went from being ironic to it became their music. Like they went from joking about it to it became their couple's music. So they're in love and they're dating. And she said, okay, how cliche how cliche is this? It's, it's New Year's, and she's with her boyfriend, and out of nowhere, he breaks up with her. She didn't know it was coming, no foreboding, just completely got blindsided, and, and he breaks up with her. And she just feels like she's been punched in the gut. It's one of those moments where I, I've got to say something, and I have no idea what to say. So he breaks up, and she's standing there, and she says... How can I just let you walk away? Just let you leave without a trace. You're the only one who really knew me at all. She's quoting Phil Collins in her moment of of desperation. So she's she's just devastated. And she describes in the weeks ahead, she's just can't pull it together. So she decides to write her own breakup song. And she said, you know, you forget this unless you're going through a breakup, but almost all the music on the radio is about breakups. And you don't know it till you're breaking up, and then it's just hitting you from the left and the right. So she decides she's going to write a breakup song. She's not very good at it, so she decides to get in touch with Phil Collins. And on this podcast, you hear her get him on the phone and talk to him. And what came out was, Phil Collins says, it's interesting that that resonated with you so much because when I wrote that music, that particular song even, I was going through a divorce. And so it wasn't like, hey, I'm a songwriter and I've got a contract and I've got to, you know, produce this for this movie and, you know, come up with it by this date. But I, you know, I was in turmoil. 
and writing out of that. So I think that there was a reason why when you got punched in the gut and you're kind of reaching for words, those words fit. Did you know that there are particular psalms for when you're heartbroken? And there's all kinds of genres of psalms. There's 150 psalms in the Bible, so there's all kinds. There's very happy, very joyful celebration psalms. There's Thanksgiving psalms. There's other kind of genres. But one particular genre is lament. And, and it's a kind of psalm that... But what, what it models to us is this, is that God doesn't say, okay, I know you're sad. I know you're, you're going through something that's heartbreaking or sad right now. Just hit the pause on your sadness and then worship me. But, but what the lament psalms show is that he wants us to worship him, not just in our sadness, but actually with it. Like worship him with our sadness. And when you're sad often, especially if you're really heartbroken and devastated and you're in turmoil... It's hard to know the words to say. It's hard to come up with your own words. And so the lament psalms give you words. So let's look at this lament psalm. This is actually not by David as far as we know. In the ascription at the top that some of the psalms have, it's ascribed to the sons of Korah. We don't know a lot about these guys, but apparently they were part of the Levitical order. They were part of the sort of the clergy of the tabernacle or of the temple. So this is by the sons of Korah. It's a lament psalm, Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for words when we don't know the words. Thank you that you even say that your spirit groans for us because we don't know the words. Your groans express what our words 
can't or we can't find the words to express. Thank you for psalms written in pain so that when we are in great pain, we have something to say. And we pray that you would transform even our sadness, that it would be unto you, and that we would hear you now in Christ's name. Amen. I want to share something that one of you shared with me three days ago. And I'm not going to use anyone's name, but I asked permission to share this, and a church member gave me permission. But I've uh, been thinking about this psalm all week, and then one of you sat across from me and said what I'm about to tell you, and it just, it just blew me away how much it fit with this psalm. A church member was sitting across from me and was describing an extremely, excruciatingly painful thing that happened in I'm just going to speak in the plural so I don't even say he or she in, in their life. And the kind of thing that it's not like, oh, I got fired. Or, um, uh, oh, I experienced this setback. It really was like, this is the kind of thing that's, that, that's a game changer for your life. And so this person said, I, I realized at some point that what... I really, I, I, I could hardly say this out loud, but what I thought toward God was this. And I thought this sentence was amazing. This person said, Lord, I can trust you to be my Savior, but I do not trust you to understand how I felt. That, that's hard even to say out loud. I do trust you. To save me. I trust you to be God and Savior, but I do not trust that you really understand what I felt when I went through that and that you let me go through that because if I loved someone, I would never let them go through that. Have you ever experienced that tension? And we're not talking about someone screaming at God who doesn't believe in God and is just going to lash out at any concept of God or religion. We're talking about somebody. Here's the tension juxtaposition. I do trust you. I do think the Bible is true. I do think I need salvation from my sin. I do think you need to work in my life. You don't know how I feel. If that has ever resonated with you, or you could even imagine it resonating with you, this is a great psalm for us this morning. And I want to look at this. I want to to think about it. I I called it my sad soul and God because... In the psalm, that's the, that's the phrase that you keep getting, my soul, my soul, my soul. And when I refer to who wrote this, I'm going to speak in the singular, even though it's by the sons, plural, of Korah. The language of the psalm is singular, my soul, my God, all right? So let's, let's look at this. First, what does the psalmist feel? And then what does he recognize? And then what does he do? What does the psalmist feel? And what does he recognize? We might even say, what does he think? And then what does he do? All right, what what does the psalmist feel? And let's just name it. He names it. He names it twice in in this psalm. And then in the connected psalm, Psalm 43, he says it again. He feels turmoil. Uh, Look at the language. Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. 
And some of, some of you may not have had experience with that, but some of you have. Some of you have actually just saturated a pillow before. Uh, I remember the first time a, a, a friend of mine lost a parent. And, you know, at some, at some point, you, experience, you walk with a friend through that. The first time I, I had a peer lose a parent unexpectedly, I went over to his house and I didn't know what to expect. But he was, and I'd never seen anyone do this. He was holding a towel for his tears. I'd seen Kleenex. I'd never seen somebody cry so much they used a towel. And this is not pretend sadness. This is turmoil. My tears have been what I've eaten day and night. Uh, and, you know, and what's the refrain? Verse 5, verse 11, it's in the next psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And he actually uses metaphors to try to convey what I'm feeling. Look at, uh, look, first thing in verse 7. And this is sort of a confusing language, but, but uh, it may not be as confusing as, as it seems at first. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, I, I saw some commentators that took that as a positive thing, like the waves of his love. That does not seem to be what he's saying. That it's the waves of pain and sadness coming over me. And it's interesting. We actually use this same language. Sometimes when you've been through something extremely sad and extremely painful, and then another painful thing comes on the, on the heels of it, we'll say it just seems like it's coming in waves. Like more things change, the more they stay the same. We still talk that way. Look at the language in verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones. Now, David does this too, but the psalmist will talk about spiritual things and emotional things in their physical body. It's in my bones. I hurt in my bones. I'm so sad. He's heartbroken. And, uh, you know, this is the beginning of summer. I know it's not, we haven't reached the summer solstice, but the way that most of us do life once you pass Memorial Day and the school's let out and the pool's open, then at that point, it's really, it's really summer. And, you know, the beginning of summer, I think, is almost like when you get close to Christmas. That there's sort of a cultural pressure to be happy. And, and some of you are in a time where you are happy. And I would say, hey, thank the Lord for it. If you're in a place where you're happy, thank, thanks be to God that that's where you are. But many of you are not. And I know that through two ways. Number one, because you're just a group of human beings in a fallen world. In a group of fallen people in a fallen world, there's going to be a critical mass of people who are sad. But the other reason that I know is because we talk. I know that many of you are very sad. You know, just this past Friday night, Dana and I were at a gathering, and um, and it was you know a lot of moms and dads and kids and and um and sort of the just typical conversation carrier of of that get together was so what are y'all doing this summer? And it was you know like. What fun thing are you going to do this fun summer to have fun? And, that, and it's like, I'm not, I, I think we've got some fun things in the Hey Big family, you know, lined up to, to, to have fun. But it was almost the expectation of, of course you're happy and of course things are good. And of course you're moving on to the next pleasant thing in your life. When that's not where many people are. And, and the reality is, and I know that you know this, but I just want to verbalize it, that there's nothing about passing Memorial Day and the pool's opening that just neutralizes sadness from a region. So we should talk about this. 
he feels heartbroken. So what does he recognize? And I'm, I'm going to say there's a twofold thing that he recognizes. And I have to use air quotation marks on one of the two things, or I'd be heretical. He recognizes that God is the problem and God is the solution. Both and. God is the problem and God's the solution. Uh, where do you see that he's, the pr- that he's the problem? Look back in verse 7 that we were talking about with the waves. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Where did these waves of pain come from? From you. They came from God. Look in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I know who you are. You are the almighty God. In fact, he's even willing to say, you are my God. And you know the way that we try to get God off the hook on this? We'll say that, well, God didn't cause it. God allowed it. That, that is theologically small beer. Weak sauce. If, if God allowed it and he had the love to stop it and he had the wisdom to stop it and he had the power to stop it and he didn't stop it, then he's still directing the whole show. God, you're the problem. And, and by the way, look, the, 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 what the enemies are saying to him is, is, sort, of, is sort of fair game. I mean, the, the, his enemies are asking him the obvious question. You believe in God. You believe that God controls everything. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And the interesting thing, I think, for us to realize is that we're trying to make a bridge between this ancient text and our own experience. For him, the enemies are visible, like the visible, actual people who are enemies of God and of his people, and they're talking that way to him. Now, you can have that now, and you may have that now. You may have it in your circle of friends or your own family members or or your workplace, But the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says this, that that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but we do have enemies, unseen. So what it can look like for us is that when you're in great pain, and and here you are, like here you are in pain, and here you are at church worshiping God, all creatures of our God and King, you know, praise Him, praise Alleluia. Well, if this God is so great and He's so powerful, then where is He as you're like dying on the inside? But God is the solution. How does the psalm begin? As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then get get this one. Look in verse 8. By day, the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Well, which is it? Is his love with you and his song with you, or has he forgotten you? And the sons of Korah are saying, yes. Like, think about how children, really young children, approach food. 
for really young children, this is their taxonomy of food. There is no food pyramid. There is no paleo construction. The way young children think about food is there are two kinds of food. There is food that grown-ups want me to eat, and there is food that is yummy. Those are the two categories of all food. And of course, the grown-ups in the child's life are trying to say, it may be a little more nuanced than that. You know, it may be that the orange that is good for you is also yummy. So let's try to expand our categories a little bit. If you want to stay three years old in food world, just keep it that it's either or. I, I want you to think about the person in pain or think about yourself in pain and think about what it does to your face. I had a church member tell me about a month ago, I didn't even know I'd be preaching on this. He told me about a month ago, we were eating together. He said, when your heart is heavy, you get this look on your face. He said, I I could describe it to a police sketch artist. Like I said, I've known you long enough that when, when your heart is heavy, you, it registers on your face with a particular expression that I could describe to somebody. Think about looking in the mirror when you're in great pain. And think about this psalm. All right, which is it? My face is downcast. My tears have been my food day and night. Look at my face. God, why have you forgotten me? But God's song is with me, and His steadfast love is never cut off from me. And get this. In verse 5 and 11, the English translation says, uh, I hope in God, I will again praise Him, my salvation and my God. In Hebrew, literally, it says, the salvation of my face. The salvation of my face. That God has, is simultaneously the God who brought the thing into my life that's put this sad, heartbroken expression on my face. And He is the salvation of my face. Which is it? Both. And if you want to go from being spiritually a three-year-old to someone who's maturing and growing and becoming a spiritual grown-up, you have to hang on to both. Me in the mirror. He brought the thing into my life that broke my heart. And He is the salvation of my face. And the psalmist recognizes both. So, so then what does he do? Uh, well, for, I mean, first off, he cries. I, do, I, I just want to make sure that we all heard that, that he cries hard. He mourns and he weeps. And I just think that we have to say this from time to time, that it is not categorically Christ-like to suppress emotion. In the New Testament, the writer to the Hebrews says, In the days of Jesus' life on earth, he was heard with loud cries that he wailed out to God and mourned. Sometimes what Christ-likeness looks like is crying and weeping. So he does do that. But I want to look at two other things that he does. The first thing is this. He remembers. Now look back in verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And again, this is the sons of Korah had sort of clergy-like roles or ministry roles. And he says, I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng 
And lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So some, some of the heartbreak is, I remember when I didn't feel like this. And in particular, I remember when I didn't feel like this with God's people. And now, this person may be in a situation where they're running from enemies or they're in exile so they can't get to the temple. But some of you would understand that experience. And it actually might be you this morning. I remember what it was like to come to worship and have joy. And I don't. So first he remembers that. But then he re- there's another remembering. Look in verse 6. My soul is cast down within, within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Well, how do you, what, what, what does that mean? I remember God. What am I supposed to do? Let me go back to that church member that I started off with because there's, there's sort of a, the rest of the story. Church member that said, Lord, I'll trust you to be my Savior. I don't trust you to understand how I felt when I went through that horrible thing. Went on to share with me that um, they attended our Good Friday service a few months ago. And just said, you know, I was looking forward to it. I've been to some in the past, and I didn't feel particularly up or down. I I like that service, so I was just looking forward to going on Good Friday, and that's about it. So came to the service and said that as these readings progressed, and you just hear. Now, it's very familiar passages, but you just hear about Jesus moving toward greater and greater sadness. This person said that finally, when it came to a reading that's called the shadow of darkness, and it's Jesus finally coming into just full-blown, overwhelming turmoil. And killed. That this church member said to me, I was healed. And I I stayed after everybody left and I sat in my chair and I didn't want it to stop. And it wasn't like new information, but it finally hit me. He understands your sadness. He understands deeper sadness. Why does God bring sad things into our life? You know, we can kind of take a stab at answering that. He's the great surgeon. He knows how to use the scalpel that will really bring healing and change and transformation into my soul. But man, that, that doesn't land very well when you're just hurting. Sometimes we have to say, I don't know why God brought that into my life. And I would disabuse you of always trying to find the answer to everything that he does. God is in heaven and we are on earth. Therefore, let our words be few. But what this person expressed was, it hit me like it had never hit me. He understands. This do in remembrance of me. If you are here and you are very sad, and and especially if your sadness is tied to a particular incident in your life, it's highly likely that that thing, that reality, that incident, that pain, that setback, 
just seems like the biggest thing in your life right now. Of course it does. You feel it acutely. And what I want to stand here and say is not that it's not big. What I want to say is it is not the biggest thing that ever happened. It's not the saddest thing that ever happened. And you know what? This doesn't come through as clearly in English translations, but in the Greek New Testament, if you don't mind me being a little teachy here, Jesus quotes Psalm 42 in his pain. My soul is sorrowful to the point of death. He quotes Psalm 42. Why does God ordain so much pain? Maybe that's not the right question. Why would God ordain pain on himself? To redeem his people and redeem the world. And finally, one day, transform the heavens and the earth and rid all pain. Rid all tears. Rid all sadness. To have the heavens and the earth glorify him and enjoy him forever. And no one has to wait for the shoe to drop because shoes don't drop anymore. He remembers. The last thing is this, is, uh, and it's kind of my favorite part. He talks to himself. Now, we tend to think of that as a, a little bit weird. But it can actually be very healthy to talk to yourself. Like, okay, again, this refrain, twice in this psalm, once in the next psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hey, sons of Korah, who are you talking to? The sons of Korah are speaking to the sons of Korah. The psalmist is speaking to the psalmist. It's like he's saying, hey, self, why are you cast down? Not saying that you're not in turmoil, but soul, why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. Some of you have heard me mention the name uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, he, he started out pastoring in Wales, but his longest ministry was in London, Westminster Chapel, walking distance from Buckingham Palace, and a remarkable guy. He wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, and it has stayed in print since he wrote it because so many people know what it is to be spiritually depressed. I, I, I just want to read you this part, and then I'm done. He writes, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. And then he says this. The main art in the matter of spiritual living, and I love that he calls spiritual living an art, not a science. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself Preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? And then you must go on to remind yourself of God. Who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. And then having done that, end on this great note. And if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. Defy yourself and defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall again praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God.
You, you, you know what it would look like when Psalm 42 gets in your bones is not just to say, you know what, there are psalms that allow me to be sad. We'll know that Psalm 42 has gotten in our bones when we talk to ourselves more. Maybe not in front of other people. But in, at the red light or in the shower or in a closet or in an office with the door closed to grab yourself and say, quit being driven by how you feel. Feelings are not bad. God made them. And it's okay for you to be sad. But sadness is not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. God has brought this into your life and you are sad. And he gives you not just permission, he gives you the template to say to him, why have you forgotten me? How long, O Lord? You may say that to him. But he waded into a pain that even we can't understand in our deepest pain. He waded into it to undo it. To save us from our sins. And redeem our souls. And redeem our bodies. And redeem our families. And redeem society. And redeem the cosmos. And wipe away all tears. Let's pray that we would talk to ourselves that way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the one who became sorrowful unto death. We praise you that you're not a distant Savior. But Lord Jesus, that you, our elder brother, came and you actually, you sang our song. You prayed Psalm 42. Thank you that you became sad that we might have joy. That you allowed yourself to be cast down that we might be lifted up. Holy Spirit, would you work in us to believe the gospel and then to say it to ourselves, to talk to ourselves, to preach to ourselves, and to hope in you. And then, Lord God, please save our face. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.